Welcome back to AQ's Blog and Grill, a podcast dedicated to bringing you stories of innovation and insights in the branding and marketing space. Sprinkle in a dash of entrepreneurship and startup life, and you've got food for thought. Whether you want to define your new startup brand, discover how to turn your hobby into a successful business, or hone your content creation skills, you're sure to leave each week with a full stomach or mind. Now here's your host, Alan Quarry. AQ's Blog and Grill. Hey, everybody, and welcome to AQ's Blog and Grill. We're very excited today to have Jim Estel here with us. Um, Jim is a Canadian technology entrepreneur executive, philanthropist, who has been serving as president and CEO of home appliance manufacturer Danby Products since 2015. During the course of his career, uh, Jim invested in, uh, has invested in more than 150 startup companies, received international attention uh, for offering to sponsor the resettling of 50 Syrian refugee families in Canada. In recognition of that uh, philanthropic effort, Jim uh, received the Order of Ontario in June 2017 and was named to the Order of Canada in July 2018. He's also received an Everyday Heroes Award from the Global Hope Coalition. And Jim, you're a really nice guy. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, that's <laughs> that's the most important of everything you said there. <laughs> well, there you go. Now, many people would not understand this, but um, actually, you and I started doing business back in the mid '80s when you had launched. After you had launched EMJ, I had purchased Macintosh computers to run yeah. my art studio. You used to run, you may not remember this, you used to run in your car uh, over to Waterloo so that we could get cables, we could get uh, some of the other peripherals, and then we started just buying uh, Macs, uh, Mac Pluses uh, from you, and so there you go. I was on your account's uh, receivable list, usually awesome. over usually over 90 days and oh and <laughs> yeah i had to i had to come over to threaten to break your legs that's why i drove over yeah but you were nice enough to call first oh oh yeah good good <laughs> you didn't just show up to break my legs so i really appreciated that and jim has also got something else uh, on the go he's just uh, he's launching a new firm uh, a new offering called shipper b and i want to talk about that today as well so Jim, thanks for joining us. We're going to have a little bit of a conversation today, which will go from sort of end to end. Are we ready for that? Yeah, perfect. All good. <laughs> That's great. So, Jim, uh, you're a graduate of the University of Waterloo, a and what did you graduate in? Because it's kind of a it's kind of a neat program. Well, systems design engineering. Systems design engineering was that a very popular course to take in those days? No, it was relatively close to the first of the systems design engineers. And mm -hmm. back then, the, all the engineers were civil, mechanical, electrical, and systems was kind of a brand new field mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. Um, the other thing, although I'm an engineer, uh, one of my engineering friends said I'm a very bad engineer. I actually don't <laughs> practice engineering. I've sort of gone more uh, business and marketing and and uh, whatnot. So I'm I'm an engineer that's gone bad. How's that? You've gone to the dark side. You really exactly. haven't gone bad. But yes. Exactly. Yeah. Anytime you can put the word marketing in the same sentence as engineer, I, uh, I start to get the shakes. Uh, well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing that surprised people, I can actually write a sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. Not just PowerPoint uh, slides, which is another strong uh, talent you have. So 
1980, you're just graduating from school and you decide to start a business. What, what was that all about? You weren't busy enough uh, as a student? Well, um, I just graduated and basically mm -hmm. I uh, wanted to design circuit boards because I'm an engineer and thought, oh, computers, design circuit boards, but I needed a computer and computers back then were very expensive relative to my means mm -hmm. and I got a better deal if I bought two of them. So I bought two of them and sold one, <laughs> then someone wanted a printer, so I bought a printer and then someone else wanted some computers, so I bought another two. And next thing you know, I'm buying and selling computers. Mm -hmm. So that's the business that I grew to be fairly sizable. But mm -hmm. I did keep designing some circuit boards, and and I at one point I had I don't know maybe two or three thousand square feet, and I ended up with not enough space, so I took the engineers and split them off into another company, and and uh, that company remains in business today, designing and uh, doing uh, real technical stuff, circuit wow. boards. Great, and they they don't let you inside that space, is that? Oh correct? no, exactly, exactly. They do a great <laughs> job running that business. Yeah, good show. Now. One of the things that, that you identified early, and I think you, this is where your vision has really paid off, and, and it's a unique it's a unique vision. Um, you started early with Macintosh. You were, um, oh, oh yeah, yeah I, yeah. I signed to Apple when Apple was going bankrupt, so everybody <laughs> thought Apple was going bankrupt at that time. Mm -hmm. And but again, it's like my life. Everybody thinks I'm a genius because you say, "Wow, I picked Apple." At mm -hmm. the same time, I did pick four or five other. Um, companies that you haven't even don't even remember, and I don't even remember because yeah. they didn't become the next Apple. Right. So, uh, as a matter of fact, the model and distribution, I would sign five lines. One of them would be a winner. Three of them would be sort of walking wounded, sell a little bit and whatnot, and one of them would go bankrupt. But everyone would think you're a genius because you picked the one, and that's the same thing is true of my investment uh, history. So mm -hmm. I'm the hero for picking a few winners, but you know I've got like a hundred losers, but nobody counts the losers. <laughs> right. So did you actually get to meet uh, Steve Jobs or, oh, yeah, many or times. Wozniak? So what was what was Steve like when you met him? Um, Steve was somewhat challenging, but I um, would often have uh, conversations with him and conversations <laughs> via email, and uh, I had uh, dinner with him more than once. Um, he was not the most reliable, which is not what I like in business. In business, I like to say, oh, you've got a call here at 1 o'clock. You're going to call me at 1 o'clock. It's how I program my life. He's mm -hmm. sort of, well, uh, I know we've got a meeting, but you can wait for me. And all that shows how powerful I am. Yeah. Um, so he had his idiosyncrasy, shall we say. <laughs> That's great. Did he appreciate your Canadian sensibility as a business person? Did it kind of complement his uh, more winner-take-all? I would say largely no, he didn't at all. He largely um, thought it was his way or the highway. Mm -hmm. what, what mostly my relationship with him gave me was I would let the people I did business with at Apple Canada know I was going to meet with them or talk to them. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they would get everything cleaned up because whenever you have a good a, – good sized business relationship you always have little issues and whatnot they make sure i have my inventory they make sure i have you know everything's reconciled and everything's good right. because they didn't want the wrath of steve coming down on them <laughs> but no steve generally thought i was uh uh too business oriented too even too marketing oriented too uh, -huh. uh not no there was not um uh, respect for me or what i was doing i don't think well, I think probably close to 99.5% of folks that did interact with Steve Jobs would have felt the same way. 
right? Pro probably yes. Probably yes. yes. I mean, he's yes. a design genius, and you know, and obviously he created something. But mm -hmm. no, he was a very difficult business partner, extremely mm -hmm. difficult business partner. Yeah. How about Wozniak? Did you ever meet uh, Steve Wozniak? I, I uh, did, but I did not have a relationship with him. I didn't uh, do much with him, so I really can't comment. I, I mean, I, I met him, shook his hand, but that doesn't really count as yeah. meeting him, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I gotcha. So you signed on with them as they were going through one of their um, unbalanced uh, financial situations. Um the reason you did that was, did you see something in the product or the brand that you could then leverage uh, as Jim Estill or EMJ? Sure. I mean, we tended to be a little bit counterculture and we tended to mm -hmm. um, be, we were actually a smaller distributor at that time. Mm -hmm. And so we would always sell what the big guys didn't want to sell. Right. So the big guys all wanted to sell HP. We didn't, at that time, we didn't sell HP. We didn't sell Microsoft. And there was a counterculture-ness in Apple. But again, I'd like to say I was genius. <laughs> I, I signed other lines that didn't go anywhere. People know me for the lines that I uh, <laughs> that I did. I also always liked doing a niche. And mm -hmm. with Apple, we could have a little bit of a niche. Mm -hmm. And we built largely the way we made money around Apple was not with Apple. We made it with everything that goes around the Apple, like yes. you the, cat, the cable and the printers and the, mm -hmm. um, the peripherals. Um, we made money on that. We actually made very little on computers themselves. That's Apple right. wouldn't let us make any money on computers. <laughs> wow. So EMJ then was uh, purchased. Well, you went public with EMJ, did you not? Yeah, we went public. We went public wow. in 1994. So we were public for 10 years. Wow. And uh, so one of my claims to fame was 99 consecutive quarters of profit when <laughs> yes. I sold to Cynics in uh, 2004 and uh, then I ran Cynics for uh, uh, five years from 800 million dollars to two billion dollars so that was my uh, little run with Cynics and and I talk about being in niches mm -hmm. I always I kept going in niches except the difference is as I got bigger the niches got bigger sure so at EMJ my one of my niches was barcode <laughs> well barcode is um, you know at some point it became bigger and bigger and bigger mm -hmm. so I kept yeah. going right so. Well, there you go. So how in the world did an engineer uh, with great peripheral skills take an organization from 800 million to 2 billion? I know you wrote a book about it, but can you give us a quick uh, off the top of your head? How the heck did you more than double the size, almost two and a half times the size of that business? Well, um you know, I wish I could say exactly what the – except in distribution, it's not one thing. It's all the mm -hmm. little things. Right. So it's the little stuff like returning calls fast, uh, sense of urgency. At the time, the computer industry was growing very rapidly. Mm -hmm. So the industry itself is growing very rapidly. It's one of the things I like about ShipperBee. ShipperBee mm -hmm. in, in the parcel delivery is growing at 20% per year. Mm. Can shipper be double every year? Of course they can because you grow from a 0.1% market share to a 0.2% to a 0.5%. You can grow when you're in a growth market. The problem right. we have at Danby Appliances is freezers are kind of like, uh, you know, you've got your freezer. Maybe it'll die. Maybe you'll get another one. But at the end mm -hmm. of the day, you can't double your freezer sales unless you take market share. And taking market share is much more difficult than taking new market. 
Right. And, and so at Cynix and EMJ, we were selling technology products. So we would go into something essentially that didn't exist. You're mm -hmm. going into a brand new market. So nobody had a fax machine. Nobody had a uh, uh, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Nobody had one. So the market itself would grow at a tremendously fast rate. Mm -hmm. I, and I would find niches within that. So uh, toners and inks was one of our niches. And we had a 50%, 50% market share in all toners, all inks, all brands of printers. But once you do that, you get good at it. So that means your website has the right cross references. Your sales reps know the right uh, the right toner for the right printer. You've got the right one in stock. It's like you don't want to go to a grocery store that says, "Oh, we've got your groceries." Well, we don't have avocados, and we don't have uh, you know something that's right. a little offbeat. Yeah. And um, and we optimized our system, so we optimized our cost so that our boxes that we put them in were exactly the size of the toner, and our conveyor lines fit it, and everything worked well. And our competitors were trying to. You know, they, they did much less volume and they would put down a line that was doing something different than just toners and inks. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Excellent. So then uh, in 97, you come across um, an organization called Research in Motion. And um, I don't know if you knew uh, Mike or Jim before that, but you, you got in on the ground floor with as an investor and then a board member with uh, Research in Motion. How, how did that come about? Well, at the time, um, my company was the big company and we'd gone public. So I joined their board before they went public. Okay. And so um, I joined their board. I had been public for about three years mm -hmm. then. And uh, I, the year I went public, I did 68 million. The next year, I did 104 million. The year after that, I think I did 140. So I was doing about 140 million. And, and BlackBerry at the time was doing, I'd be surprised if they're doing 10 at the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. I was the big company. I was in this group that subsequently became Communitech, Communitech in sure. the yeah. Atlas group. And mm -hmm. uh, we met every month and uh, they basically were looking for board members. And at that time I was a, a bigger wheel in the Waterloo area, uh -huh. proportional to them. And, uh, but at the same time, that is in the category I made five investments at that time. I made I made 150 over that period. I made five investments, and I'm going to tell you four of them went away. You don't even know the names of the companies. I can't even remember the names of the company, and I lost all of my money on those. But the, everybody thinks I'm a genius because I picked BlackBerry. I did pick BlackBerry, but I also picked some others that weren't as good as that. Mm -hmm. And so what was the dynamic like? Um, I know Corey was involved with uh, Research in Motion back in 97, 98. Uh, we helped launch the brand, uh, and so I got some I got some insights into uh, the dynamics with Mike and Jim and and some of the other folks that they recruited from Hewlett Packard uh, to come in and help. Um, what did you see from a uh, from a board standship or from a board uh, standing or from an observer uh, that you thought, wow, these guys are really going to do well? Well, I, I mean, I, I just, well, I'm an efficiency guy. Many, many years ago, I wrote a book on time management. Mm -hmm. and, and at that time, being able to do email from a device was, re it was revolutionary and mm -hmm. it was major leagues time saving. I would be sitting in someone's reception area waiting for my meeting and I'd have all my emails up to date and right. it made me so crisp. And so, so I just loved the product. That was right. the, uh, real thing and i'm at the time i was a real techie nerd so i love the tech nerd part of it mm -hmm. um and uh other than that it was just uh you know very very cool changed the world mm -hmm. and 
it did change the world. I mean, now we don't even think of it. Um, like you don't even think I'm going to surf and, you know, look at a, pay, a web page on my device. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. when the first Blackberries come out, you couldn't look at a web page on it. You, the most you could do is send <laughs> someone an email, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, and Mike in particular thought that's all they needed to do. Um, well, well, exactly. And, and to some extent I was of that school because I was a business focused guy. I was not a, um, music guy. So why do you need music on this? Cause I'm a business focused guy. Well, maybe you listen to business books, but, um, and I was, uh, it, it was just an efficiency thing. Mm -hmm. So I had a, a strong, uh, email focus. Yeah. And then of course you recall in the end, there was this, uh, they had a keyboard and the keyboard was an awesome keyboard, but then mm -hmm. they got eclipsed by someone with didn't have a keyboard mm -hmm. and not having a keyboard. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Awesome. Exactly. But, not having a keyboard has now become the norm mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you know, they missed the app and uh, you've seen the uh, base. I, I basically saw the rise and the fall. I left the board in 2010. So mm -hmm. it was um, probably slightly after the peak, but not much. I, you know, mm -hmm. I was right at the peak. If you look at 2010, I always joke and say, uh, see, I joined the board in uh, 97 and left in 2010. Look what happened after I left. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I can see that correlation. There. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, so your first book you published in 2010, and that was on time management, time leadership, which I think is a much better title. Yeah, so so that actually would have been a, at least the fourth or fifth edition of that, Alan. Okay, okay. So, so, so that the first version of it was published, I'm thinking, in 1990 or 1985 oh. even. So it, wow. it was a very old Book. So I've gone okay. through four editions okay. on, on time leadership, but I, it's not how I define myself as an author. It's just, it was a thing I did because I mm -hmm. was not very organized. I need to study it to get better at how to organize it. And then I thought, oh, this is cool. And I'll teach all my, my uh, employees to be better at time management. Then I had friends, oh, show, tell my employees. And then <laughs> someone uh, taped it and, and then it got turned into a book. So that's how that book came about. Okay. Well, the edition I have is 2010. So yeah. it's it's still being pumped out there, Jim. You're, there you you're, okay. you're immortal. Oh, I see. <laughs> Great. Oh, that's great. So tell me a little bit about DDE Media. What, where's that coming from? Okay, so I um, retired from Cynics, um, and I moved to New York to do some mm -hmm. angel and venture capital, thinking I was good at that because I had some luck at it. And then I, and I was there for almost five years. I was basically retired for five years. Mm -hmm. My dad got sick, so I moved from New York back to Guelph, mm. and I thought I should have a retirement business. And my retirement business, I, I set it up as walking distance from my home across the river. It was just mm -hmm. perfect. I even made it deliberately a smallish office so I could have maybe 20 employees and because yeah. um, I have a habit of making things bigger. And uh, <laughs> DDE Media was a, um, uh, a marketing, digital marketing company, but mm -hmm. also did um, happen to write textbooks because part of the key in business is 100% utilization. And back then, SEO involved a lot of writing. And mm -hmm. But a writer can't write a, a textbook heads down eight hours a day. They can write some articles, some blog entries, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And that's how that company came about. But I sat on the board of Danby Appliances. Mm -hmm. The CEO resigned. And I said, oh, I can go in and run that. Then all of a sudden, I'm running uh, that and DDE. And uh, 
then the ownership group at uh, Danby said they wanted me to sell the company. And I said, how much for? And they told me. And I said, okay, great. I'll take it. So I ended up buying the company, therefore having two companies to run. So I um, merged my company with Traffic Soda, the, the marketing company with Traffic yeah. Soda. So it became uh, yeah, Traffic Jessica Soda. Chalk. And Jessica Chalk runs that, mm -hmm. uh, runs that digital marketing agency today. Right. So that was how that came about. And that's how I then started doing Danby. But then I, I, you know me, I'm an impatient guy. I, oh, I only had one business to run. That's uh, Danby. So I had to start Shipper B on, on top of that. Yeah, I don't know who explained retirement to you, Jim, but uh, they're, they're not, they haven't given you ex really good advice, but I think you've done it the right <laughs> way. <laughs> well, well, no, actually what I learned about retirement, and that mm -hmm. is that uh, you don't want to retire. I'm telling you, you're, you we're too young to retire. It's overrated. You, you, you know, go to school, you work, you retire, you die. So I'm yeah. just going to step, skip that last step. And then I don't ever die. That's, as you said earlier, I'm immortal. You're immortal. And, uh, and I think that is a, a great aspiration, Jim, stay at it. So now tell, tell us a little bit about Shipper B because this is a fascinating uh, new venture which personally I think is going to do very well, but give us the, give us the, the why you're going to do this. Okay. So shipper B is a courier competing with FedEx or UPS. And basically mm -hmm. we just carry parcels, but the gist of it is we can save 73.1% of the greenhouse gas per parcel shipped. Mm. So to make an environmental impact, the best thing to do would be to stop consumerism. But if you're not going to stop consumerism, the next best thing is how do you reduce the greenhouse gas in what we do? Mm -hmm. and, and so how do we do that? We, um, instead of going hub and spoke, so right now, if you ship from Waterloo to Guelph mm -hmm. by a, one of the main couriers, it goes from Waterloo to Mississauga to Guelph. That's the way the parcel goes. So yeah. we don't do that. We go, we get picked up at your office. It would get dropped at a hive or a transfer point. We call it a hive because the name of the company is Shipper B mm -hmm. at the Petro Canada on Highway 7. Someone will pick it up at the Petro Canada Highway 7, drop it at the UPI gas bar and Highway 24. Someone will pick it up at the UPI gas bar, drop it at my business. So we'd still be door-to-door -door service, but it would hop from gas station to gas station. And North America is mapped with gas stations all along the interstates. Mm -hmm. And the second savings, not only the hub and spoke, is what I call the power of while, which I referenced in my time management book. I had a whole chapter on the power of while. What can you do while you're doing something else? Right. And uh, so what can you do while you're driving to uh, Guelph? You can go onto your app and say, I'm going to Guelph. And it says, great, pick up 10 parcels at this hive at the Petro Canada that you're driving by already. Drop them off at the UPI gas bar that you're driving by already. So the key is a commuter driver, power of wild driver is we minimize your time. So you're not having to try to find my business or my home or drive into the subdivision or get signature. You're not trying to do any of that. You're mm -hmm. just going where you're going anyways endpoint drivers are more like uh, uh uber drivers and they're basically getting paid by the hour to mm -hmm. wait for your signature and to find your home and find your business and pick up your parcels so that's uh that's what wow. the is isn't that amazing now just before we move on to get into some more detail there how did you come up with the name shipper b what's the b about well you know how difficult it is to come up with names. Like sure. you're a marketing guy and, and it's almost impossible to come up with a name. You you, you can't get it. Uh, and so basically you're ID, IDing on a lot of stuff. 
So what do bees do? They flit from flower to flower to flower. Bees are pretty industrious. Bees are uh, good for the environment. So mm -hmm. it kind of ties to call it shipper bee, but it could just as easily have been, uh, you know, quarry shipping. Except, uh, <laughs> I like the sounds of that, though. Uh, I mean, oh, it... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, now I'm going to have to look at who my competitor is. Yeah, it could be emerging <laughs> next week. Um, so, Jim, you're, you're, you're very well known and, and recognized as an entrepreneur. As a matter of fact, you just won the um, Ernst & Young um, Ontario competition for Entrepreneur of the Year for 2019. What is the essence in your mind of a great entrepreneur? Not just an entrepreneur, but a great entrepreneur. What do they have? What do guys like you have that are maybe a little bit unique? Well, one thing I think is uh, a failure ability. Mm -hmm. So I always say fail often, fail fast, fail cheap. Having a failure does not make you a failure. And mm -hmm. I've had lots of failures, but I pick myself up and I guess I'm kind of not afraid to fail. Right. So you're, and so I will go and try things. So that's one thing entrepreneurs have. The other thing entrepreneurs have is I, I, I hate to say it. I'm eccentric and don't think the way other people think. Mm -hmm. And so I don't just accept the status quo to say, oh, I'm going to ship everything by Amazon and it's going to cause this footprint. And that's just the way life is. I say, no, mm -hmm. how can we do it differently? So I'm always questioning that. Um, I guess the other thing that is uh, people say the entrepreneur is great. and Everybody wants to focus on that. I'm telling you, it's not. It's all the company that does it. And I, I mean, we, everyone wants to give me the credit for it, but it's not me. It's everybody else that does all the work. I even say that, um, uh, you know, how do I do what I do? Well, everyone else does all the work. I don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> which is also very smart. Uh, I, I remember as I was coming up in uh, uh, TD Canada Trust, it, the thing was, how do you make yourself dispensable? Yes. And if you can make yourself dispensable, you are a leader. Uh, managers don't tend to make themselves to spend, uh, you know, uh, they, they tend to make themselves necessary to everything that happens. Leadership says, it's okay if I'm not here. It's okay if I don't do everything. So uh, congratulations on that. So what about values? Does, we're, we're, this world, which, is, which we're both living in, is maybe kind of a post-truth or a, you know, post-integrity type environment right now. We're not seeing, we're not having uh, great leadership perhaps from uh, places where we thought we should. So where does a value system come in uh, to be recognized as a, as a great entrepreneur? Mm, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. I guess um, it's, if you can be, if you're authentic, you will win. Mm -hmm. And if you're authentic and flawed, you will still win. And that's just what I, everybody knows I'm far from perfect and it's all good that I'm far from perfect and I'm not the genius. And when, as soon as you start thinking you're the genius, then nobody will tell you anything except that you will, they will agree with you and that will cause your downfall. Yes. So uh, arrogance kills. Um, and uh, as far as values and leadership go, uh, I, I'm, I'm just beside myself with the, the way what the world seems to be going in that. And uh, mm -hmm. All you can do is do your do your own little thing, though, right? And mm -hmm. stand up. And, and you know that little logo that I have above my door, "Do the right thing," and the yes. tagline. Mm -hmm. I didn't start that as a uh, ethical statement. I started that as a statement. How do you do your job? 
because I couldn't have a manual that says, how do you deal with the customer? How do you mm-hmm. deal with the supplier? How do you deal with your coworker? It's like, do the right thing. Because yeah. otherwise, I, especially in a fast moving computer industry, you're going to not get it right. Mm-hmm. Where, um, and then pe- over time, it became do the right thing as far as the, uh, do the right thing in the world. Yeah. And, and you've, been, you've been a big proponent of that for more than 40 years. It seems to be, seems to be working for you. Um, we need to, I think, help people understand, uh, no matter where they are in their education or their learning, that this is an important element of success, is the dignity of work and the integrity of your performance and your contribution. Is that what business schools are, are doing now? Are they, are they getting that point across, do you think? Well, when I'm hiring, I always try to hire first for character. Mm-hmm. Character and basic intelligence, I can teach any skill. Right. Um, and I th- I'm worried that that's the same way it is, that you can't have a business school teaching something anyways. Mm. Like, uh, I, you can't teach ethics, in my right. opinion. I mean, yeah, yes, you can have a course on ethics, but at the end of the day, you can't teach that integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, what I will say, it's, it is a lot easier to know that you're not perfect and just be who you are, mm-hmm. and then there's no expectation. I, I mean, you know, I could fake, and mm-hmm. you know, and I'm going to be wrong, and uh, it, it just doesn't, uh, it just doesn't work right. um, well. To some extent, it fits with my eccentricities, and uh, you, you know, I just do things different, and don't just, I, I don't really care what everybody says or thinks. I just right. do it, and. Uh, drive on <laughs> is that something you got from your parents uh, or your family was this um i don't care about the status quo uh you know i don't think i totally would have because otherwise all of my brothers would have exactly the same thing and they don't mm-hmm. um so i don't know why i became sort of irreverent and didn't really care mm-hmm. um i think to some extent to the extent i i became somewhat successful it helps because mm-hmm. when I'm somewhat successful, then it's like, okay, great. You can tell, mm-hmm. you know, anyone can say anything about me. And okay, I'm fine. I'm happy. I'm, you know, I've got to have a degree of success that I'm happy with and, um, right. and uh, whatnot. And, and I think that failure thing is also, yeah, I'm, I okay. could be completely wrong, but I'll pivot and, right. uh, yeah. you know, and sure. it'll work. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, innovation is, is about failing forward um, until you get it right enough uh, and then you have to keep improving it once you get it right. So all those failures, as you say, fail quick, fail cheap, fail often. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the shipper bee thing, let's come back to that. The you, You've launched, and am I right to say that um, Ontario is kind of your test market? You're uh, kind of yeah, trying well, it out here first? Yeah, we're trying it first in Ontario, and then we'll be mm-hmm. launching in Ohio next. Um, and right now, we're just Oshawa through London, through uh, Niagara Falls, through Barrie. So we're kind of the greater Toronto area is where we're launched sure. right now. Right. And uh, yeah, we're just basically uh, you know testing the app and testing the routing software and testing the shipping software and mm-hmm. uh, making sure we have all the kinks. So one thing I do know when you when you launch a a tech product, this is not really a tech product. When you launch a product you want to have all five-star reviews. Mm. So you're better off 
we are better off to be a little slower yeah. on picking up customers mm-hmm. and be perfect than to go and say, oh, yeah, Amazon, we'll, we'll give us a million parcels because I know what would happen. We'd have a million parcels. All of a sudden, we, we miss delivery on 50,000, and, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you get one-star reviews, then nobody wants to use you. So we, what we focus on is five-star reviews grow methodically until we can handle and then make the volume from that. So that's mm-hmm. strategically what I like to do, and I like to do that around product too. Uh, any, anyone who's introducing a product, bring out your five-star first because the early adopters are the ones that everybody will follow. Right. And uh, so you want the early people to, to speak well of you. And your early reputation also carries you for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. So, and people will give you a lot of latitude if you – have done things well for a long time. And yeah. if you have a reputation, uh, reputation in, in business or reputation mm-hmm. in, uh, in the world. Yeah. Now, Jim, you and I both know you're not going to retire again. That didn't work out so well the first time. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but what's next for Jim? I mean, you, you're going to do, you're going to launch this shipper B successfully. Then what? Well, see, shipper B has the ability to be an Uber scale, Blackberry scale, Airbnb scale company. Okay. So this could this can be a unicorn scale company, mm-hmm. which will keep me occupied, interested, and engaged for quite some time to come. Mm-hmm. That said, you always will see me doing other little I always will I'm gonna say sort of surprise you at the different things that I do because I'm an mm-hmm. entrepreneur and that's what you do, right? Exactly. And, and and it can be a pivot, but maybe it's not a pivot, maybe it's uh Whatever I see opportunity when I see opportunity, I tend to do it. I love it. That's uh, that's great. I think as we see entrepreneurs emerge, they're not always 21 years old. They're not always 28 years old. There are people now that are emerging as entrepreneurs in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s, which is is just tremendous because the success rate, the percentages of success go up with a certain amount of maturity. Um, So we're not going to see necessarily an entrepreneurial ecosystem, which is made up of, you know, the bro culture of, hey guys, let's, let's put a show together and, uh, you know, let's go, you know, knock off um, uh, Facebook or, you know, some of the other big guys. Is Is that something that you're sensing that entrepreneurs are, going to be more successful when they have that maturity. Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I always look at things in terms of competitive advantage. And one of mm-hmm. my competitive advantages is the fact that I am more mature. What does that more maturity mean? It means I've tried some things that didn't work, so I don't have that. Those, I won't make those. It mm-hmm. means I have uh, a much deeper Rolodex. It means that people will do things for me that they wouldn't do for me. When mm-hmm. I started my business, I tried to raise capital, and people said, no, we're not going to invest in you. You're a kid. Why would we invest in you? Now I go and say, uh, no, I don't want to raise capital. I say, here, take a check, take a check. And so so um, you have competitive advantage at all ages, but I really think having some maturity um, helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it helps when I'm hiring people too. I mean, people, I don't know, to some extent respect what I've done in the past and it helps in that mm-hmm. regard. Sure. Uh, yeah. And you said earlier, Jim, that you hire with, for character, um, and I guess what enthusiasm, uh, a desire to learn what, what, 
yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big uh, proponent of being a constant learning culture. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to hire constant learners. That's one mm-hmm. characteristic. Uh, yes, for the energy level. Yes, for integrity. Um, yes, for uh, ability to learn um, and attitude. You, you, you just want people who are willing to know that not everything's easy and we're going to try hard and we're going to work collegially together mm-hmm. to try to get it. It's, um, I'm not a win at all cost culture. I'm a win together culture. Mm-hmm. And that might mean that you're not the one that walks home with the, uh, the gold star. The team walks home with the gold star. As long as the team got the gold star, then we're, we're happy yeah. together. Um, yeah. I, I I get the sense of uh, from Jim Jim Estel here is that ego is good, we go is better. Where you've got that team thing and you've got the collegiate uh, collegial thing, we go, not ego. Uh, excellent point. I agree. I agree completely. I agree completely. And I, uh, as far as ego goes, I not going to say that I have no ego, but I do like, uh, I being, having too much ego or being egotistical is not a good characteristic in my book. And, uh, I think that being modest and being, uh, and knowing that it's not you that does everything Mm -hmm. and there's there's a lot of luck in things and whatnot and being grateful. Uh, Mm -hmm. I believe totally in being grateful for what I have Mm -hmm. and grateful for the, uh, everything. Um, I think that helps us be successful. As soon as we start thinking we're smart, as soon as we start thinking we're good, I believe that's the start of the decline. Okay. Jim Estel, it's been fascinating and fabulous having you on as a guest at AQ's Blog and Grill. How are people going to follow you? How are people going to get to know more about Shipper B? Well, Shipper B is shipperb.com and Danby is danby.com and mm-hmm. Jim Estel is jimestel.com. So you can do uh, any of them. And, and I'm big on LinkedIn uh, because mm-hmm. – uh, I just think that's a, a great tool to keep in touch. So yes, yes, and I notice every day you publish a an insight or a observation, uh, which hits the hits the mark. So thank you for doing that. You're welcome. <laughs> that's great. Well, everybody, um, I hope you enjoyed uh, meeting with Jim and having this conversation as much as I did. And uh, we'll say goodbye to Jim now. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Thanks, Alan. Hi. Take care. As always, thanks for joining us this week on AQ's Blog and Grill. Make sure to visit our website and sign up for our weekly newsletter or hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode so that you never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in today's episode or in any of our previous episodes, we'd love if you'd take a few seconds to give us a five-star review. Your reviews and five stars ensure that other people who need to hear stories like these have the chance to hear them. Or if you're not into rating, tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth spreads the love too and would definitely help us out. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next Monday with a brand new episode of AQ's Blog and Grill. AQ's Blog and Grill.